You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to teach on this very difficult topic this morning. And um, I just ask if there's anyone here in this room who has come seeking comfort um, or peace, uh, that we can all leave, leave with that uh, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on in. Um, so, I want to first talk about the title of this talk and how um, I came up with it. So, the summer of 2020, um, Charlie and I were going through um, what is I could generously describe as a rough spot, um, and we were driving along a country road in Crane Hill, Alabama. Um, and Charlie said, "I know you remember this." I am just at the end of my rope. And we pull around the corner and there's a church sign and it says, God is at the end of your rope. You cannot make this stuff up. And I, I mean, and every single week this, this church has a different saying um, and, and usually it makes me chuckle. And in this case, I mean, I just, we both just looked at each other and we're, I mean, it, we needed that in that moment. Um, and, and I'm not going to go into too much detail. I really don't want this to be about me. Um, but the summer of 2020, um, as you know, was a rough summer for everybody. And it was the summer that we also got emergency custody of my nephew. And um, there were a lot of things in orbit around that event um, that made our lives especially difficult. And um, the idea for this talk actually was born out of a talk I gave last summer on the topic about what suffering is. And I didn't quite get through all of my notes, which was how to deal with suffering. And I'm, I'm frankly quite glad because what I didn't realize at the end of last summer was that our suffering was not done. And uh, I'm a crier if it makes you guys uncomfortable. Sorry. <laughs> I just do it. Um, but, but, but I did want to do, do a quick recap of what I covered in last summer's topic, um, just about what suffering is. And I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I really want to get into endurance. Um, but there are really three types of suffering that, that I identified in the Bible. Um, one is redirection and discipline. So you think about Jonah um, defying what God told him to do. And in that case, it was discipline that Jonah found himself in the belly of a fish. Um, the other type of suffering is what I like to call spiritual warfare. And I like to think of Job in that case, who was without sin and yet found himself wealthless and childless and friendless um, through no fault of his own. And then the third type is what I like to think of as the sacrificial suffering for the salvation of others. Jesus being the primary example in the Bible, but also all of the martyrs. Um, Paul, um, I think of Perpetua is one of my favorite martyrs um, who's not in the Bible, but is well documented for her um, torture in the Roman what are those things called? Colosseum. Um, so, so those are the three types of suffering. And I don't want to get too hung up on wh what 
the differences and what that means for us. Because I think at the end of the day, the way we respond to suffering is the same regardless. Um, there's a great uh, sermon that you can get and listen to online. It's Tim Keller. It's called The Way to Endurance. And I want to read a passage from Romans 5. Um, I'm sure you're very familiar with it, but it is the, to me, uh, primary passage in the Bible that addresses suffering and what it's meant to do in our lives. So I'll just read that now. Um, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Um, And one of the things Tim Keller points out is what suffering is not. And I want to cover that because I think talking about endurance and how to get through suffering, especially when you're talking to somebody who's in the middle of it, um, can be a little difficult and dangerous, quite frankly. And one of the things he mentioned is that endurance is not rooted in stoicism or masochism. And I'll briefly explain what those mean. Um, But the stoics would find joy in, in spite of suffering. And so those are the folks they're gonna say to you, Oh, don't let it get to you. You don't need to care about these things. These things aren't important. Um, And the counterpoint to that, I think, is Job. So, you know, when he was suffering, he didn't just hold his head up high and get through it. I mean, we hear about how he tore his clothes and cried out to God, and yet he sinned not. Um, So God is not asking us to white-knuckle our way through suffering or to suffer in silence. It's just not biblical. And um, the thing about stoicism is it really can get you through suffering. Um, I've tried to white-knuckle it myself, um, but it can also leave you very hard of character and lacking empathy for others. And and you can tell the people that have white-knuckled their way through suffering. Um, They're usually pretty grumpy. They're not, you know, and they just, um, it's like they've got that thick skin, um, which you need sometimes, but they're not the people you want to turn to um, when you're suffering. And then the other thing that suffering is not is masochism. And uh, the masochist would say, I have hope and joy because I suffer. Um, And I think Tim Keller put it really well. He said, The masochists say, I suffer, therefore I am. And um, we're not going to seek unnecessary suffering just to um, build endurance and character. That's not biblical either. Um, I also want to briefly address the societal views of suffering. Um, And as a counterpoint to that, point out that, you know, 2,000 years ago, suffering was an accepted part of life. Children died. There was widespread disease. And I think, I don't think, I know that today we have a different expectation in response to suffering. I feel like I see people, and I see it in myself too, 
where we experience setbacks or adversity and our response is just like, this isn't fair, almost like a child. I wrote it down like, um, this isn't right. I don't deserve this. And we, we just try to, I think we, we don't have a very realistic view of suffering as a part of the human experience. And because we have so much things in our life to immediately relieve us of suffering. You know, we can just get on our phone and forget about things. You know, there's a lot of immediate satisfaction, I think, in our society today. We don't, we aren't really good at being patient. Um, and sometimes suffering, um, the relief just doesn't come right away. And I would say that I feel like I'm still being very patient at times, waiting on God to fix the broken things in my life. Um, there's a Hallmark card. I'm going to read it before I comment on it. Um, this is another society's view of suffering. It said this. Life has a funny way of teaching us. It will create a deep sadness so we know how to truly understand happiness. It will create chaos in our lives so that we may appreciate the peaceful times. And it will take those we love away from us so that we will truly understand what their presence meant to us. That is not always how suffering affects people. Um, there's another very, very dark side of suffering, and it does not always end well. It ends well for Christians, but it doesn't always end well. Um, I was at a recent fundraiser for the United Way, and there was someone who came from the crisis center to speak, and she was saying that beginning in the spring of 2020, they saw a huge spike in incoming calls from folks that were in crisis. So suicide ideation, um, about to hurt themselves or somebody else. And she says the numbers have remained high. Um, if you wanna see a sad end to suffering, watch the Amy Winehouse documentary. Um, it just, it can end, it ends, it can end in death. It can end in disease. It can end in addiction. Um, I have still seen people I love in the midst of suffering and spiraling. And so I, I, I really dislike this Hallmark card <laughs> because in some ways through Christ, it's true. But without Christ at the center, I think that it glosses over um, the true weight of suffering on people that just don't have hope. <laughs> I think I saw it like a meme on Facebook, but I attribute to Hallmark cards because it just feels very Hallmark to me. Um, but I do think, I do want to address anxiety because I think anxiety and suffering are and can be um, two sides of the same coin. And I think I know that I was dealing with at least some degree of PTSD coming out of the pandemic, having gotten emergency custody of my nephew, and just all the other extenuating circumstances in my life. And like everybody else, I turned to self-help books at times. Um, somebody recommended this book to me. It's called, um, it's worth reading, Time Management for Mortals. And it's 4,000 Weeks is the main title. And it's actually the anti-time management book. Um, this guy, the author, Oliver Berkman, 
um, he, he has ancestors who were both victims and survivors of the Holocaust, um, and he admits it has largely informed his worldview. And before he wrote this book, he had a column, probably in the New York Times or somewhere else, where he talked about time management and time management tips and how to avoid anxiety by over planning everything. And I think he sort of, well, he describes it in this book. When his oldest, his first child was born, he threw all of that out the door because he realized that no matter how much he planned or how much he tried to time manage his life, I'm not going to cuss on his, but stuff happens, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you cannot prevent things from happening. And, and so I'll just kind of read what he said um, about how he came around on the idea of, of over planning. He said, I'm using my neurotic family by way of example here, but it's important to see that this underlying longing to turn the future into something dependable isn't confined to compulsive planners. It's present in anyone who worries about anything, whether or not they respond by devising elaborate timetables or hyper-cautious travel plans. Worry, at its core, is the repetitious experience of a mind attempting to generate a feeling of security about the future, failing and then trying again and again and again, as if the effort of worrying might somehow help forestall disaster. And then he continues, the fuel behind worry is the internal demand to know in, advent, in advance that things will turn out fine, that your partner won't leave you, that you will have sufficient money to retire, that a pandemic won't claim the lives of anyone you love, that your favorite candidate will win the election, and that you can just get through your to-do list by the end of Friday afternoon. But the reality is anything can happen. Um, and that's just a secular view of anxiety, but I do want to talk about the biblical view. And, and I love that Jesus addresses worry and anxiety directly in Matthew 6. And I turn to this a lot. Um, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Um, and so the fall of 2021, about a year ago, um, I just... I couldn't shake my anxiety. I just felt like I was facing attacks from every facet of my life. And in, in many ways I was, um, personal and professional. Um, I mean, someone even said to me at work, they were like, what have you done to deserve this? This was just a professional setback. And I'm like, this is just the way my life is going right now. <laughs> and I, But at the time I didn't have that opinion, I, I was, asking myself like what have I done to deserve this you know and and I can even remember talking to my therapist and, and describing it as a sensation of being stuck like in a violent surf and as soon as I felt like I was coming up from air for air like some other wave or uh, just setback would just crash over me and I was just I just couldn't get on my feet um, and you know the therapy wasn't working the 
yoga wasn't working and um, in a moment of desperation, um, Charlie and I called the Advent House. And um, I did actually want to share with you, well, first I want to say that the Advent House is such a powerful ministry that our church offers. And um, if you have anything that's on your mind or on your heart and you feel like you are suffering with no relief, um, it's a great place to turn to. One of the things that came out of that, um, one of the intercessors was an architect or is an architect. And he didn't know anything about Charlie and our background. And um, he drew this picture that just, I'm, I'm a visual person and I just keep turning to it in my mind. And, and I'll pass around, I made a couple copies. But um, what it is, is there's this embankment. And he wrote, a strong shelter uh, in bank of this hillside. So it's kind of carved into the hillside here. And then um, going down, he wrote, grass on a gentle slope down to a stream. And then there's this, what he writes, a slow-moving stream. And then behind this shelter um, is a strong wind and a dark forested area. And if anything could put a picture to my feelings, this just nailed it on the head. Um, and it, it made me, it did two things. First, the first thing it did is that it validated what I was feeling. Like, Yes, there's real spiritual warfare and attacks that are going on in my life right now. But it also gave me great comfort because I realized that Jesus was right there with me at the end of our rope and that I did not have to worry anymore. I didn't have to worry. Like, yes, I had to be vigilant and I had to put on the armor of God, but I didn't have to worry because the future was sealed. My fate was with him. And um, one of the things that is slightly misleading about the um, subtitle of this talk, it, it says, holding on to Jesus in the midst of suffering. He holds on to you. Like, all you have to do is hope and believe and have faith. Um, we went to um, Pensacola a couple weeks ago and uh, visited um, one of the oldest Catholic parishes in the country. Um, went to church with my brother-in-law who's recently become engaged. And um, the sermon was surprisingly good. <laughs> um, he was talking about Jeremiah and uh, if you know much about Jeremiah, he was a prophet who was preaching during the time when Jerusalem uh, or Israel had just fallen into sin and they were under attack left and right, um, about to be lifted off by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah was like, this is going to happen. You keep sinning. And they're like, be quiet. We don't want to hear what you say. And they threw him in the bottom of a well. And he sank into the mud. I just keep thinking about that, this visual of he sank into the mud. That was the sermon that we listened to. And one of the things this priest said is often we sink into the mud and we just get stuck there. We, we start asking questions. Why me? 
why is this happening to me? Um, or we, ha we might doubt ourselves. We might think that we deserve to be there. But Jeremiah had faith. He was there and he knew that God would lift him out. And he did. Um, he went on to continue prophesying about um, Israel after that. And um, so on that note, I, I kind of became fascinated recently with like public celebrities uh, that have had, or celebrities that have had public downfalls, especially those um, who identify as a Christian. And um, I don't know if y'all have seen this documentary, but it's on Netflix now. And it's about the uh, football player, Manti Teo, who um, was really an innocent victim in a catfishing scam while playing at Notre Dame. And um, he had a public downfall. He went from hero to pariah in a matter of days, it seemed like. And um, when he later got his placement in the NFL, I know that's not the right word, but he was on the Chargers, he described being so racked with anxiety um, and a numbness, tingling sensation in his limbs that he could hardly play. And he was truly suffering. Um, he would say, he said people would come up to him and take pictures and then make fun of him. Or they would be heckling him as he was coming out the tunnel to play on the field. Um, so truly suffering. And um, he said he was just questioning everything about his life. And the other thing that I thought was, he talked about his suffering and he said, every day I was just trying to figure out how to get rid of this anxiety, how to get rid of this numbness. I'm trying to figure out ways to reprogram myself. I'm watching inspirational talks. I'm watching old film of me. I'm trying to rediscover who I was before everything. Um, and I feel like that's a common theme for people that are suffering. They, I know I do this. You, you look at the past, the better times, and you're just, how do I get back to that point? How do I get back there? And the thing you have to remember is that you can't get back there. The only way through it is forward. And, and you, you are different. You are a different person now as a result. And it's, if you go back to Romans 5, it's part of God's plan for you to be a different person. Um, but what he said is he finally kind of got to the end of his rope, called his agent. He said, I need help and started talking to a therapist. And the first thing the therapist said is, have you forgiven yourself? Um, and he said, you know, someone like you who has always been so confident, who's never questioned anything he's done and all of his success has been based on trusting in you for you to go through what you went through, deep down inside, you must be questioning yourself. And he said, have you forgiven that kid? He said, it's okay what happened to you. It's not your fault. And, and I'm just getting kind of tearful because I can relate to that, feeling like I did something to deserve this. Um, and there will be people that will blame you for it. I mean, he was publicly blamed as for being a fool, for letting himself be fooled by this person. Um, and, but he, but I love the way he concluded the documentary. He said, the key is this, there is always gonna be that little kid that's gonna come up to you because he loves you. I don't know why, Manti Teo really got to me. <laughs> <laughs>
And if you treat that little kid like the way this dude just treated you, you are going to ruin that little kid. That's my challenge every day. I look at all the people that made fun of me. And no matter how hard it is, I'm going to believe the people when they say they love me. And this is what I was talking about, like stoicism. Um, some people come out of suffering and they just, there's a reason why people that were abused become abusers. You know, like you have to fight against it um, to not just want to lash out in anger against the innocent when you feel like you've been mistreated or to just guard yourself from any other emotional connection because you don't trust people anymore. Um, C.S. Lewis actually has a really good quote about this. Um, I'll just read it. There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can perfectly be perfectly safe from all the dangers and the perturbations of love is hell. And I just think that really says it all. And it's like you just suppose that to, oh good, I get my five minute warning, um, to that Hallmark card and you realize that getting through suffering is something that we can't do alone. We have to have Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to say one more thing. I started Googling uh, Manti after this and read some of his interviews. And he had, I, this was not in the documentary, but I want to read it um, because he talks about how he is a now a changed person. He says, there are only certain things you can learn by going through that. I call it the refiner's fire. You can only learn certain things in a fire. It puts me in a place, honestly, of empathy for people that go through that stuff. Because no matter what, I don't want anybody to feel that way. I don't want anybody to feel like they're alone, that nobody loves them. So whatever anybody's going through, the beautiful thing about me going through what I went through is I can empathize with anybody. I know what rock bottom looks like. I know what it feels like, smells like. I know what the darkest days look like. I know what that feels like, but I also know what the top feels like. I've experienced it all. So with that, am I a full man? I'm a more equipped man. And um, I'll just end by saying that there are a lot of verses in the Bible about being tested and refined by fire. And I love that he called it the refiner's fire. And Manti does identify as a Christian. Um, Zechariah 13, 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. First Peter. That the trial of your faith, being so much more precious than gold, 
that perished, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Um, and I'll just end with Job, who is one of my favorite, um, it was one of my favorite chapters. Um, Job 19 is basically the entire chapter is a summary of all his suffering. And this is again pre-Christ, remember. And the last couple verses, 25 through 27, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. In my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. And just knowing that that is where we are headed, no matter what we are going through, um, I just turn to that picture and I know there is nothing that we can't withstand in Christ Jesus. Um, so let me just close us in prayer. Um, thank you, Lord, uh, again for this opportunity to teach this morning. And um, I just ask that all of us in this room today, whether we are in the midst of suffering or know somebody who's in the midst of suffering, um, can approach it with an open heart and provide comfort knowing that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.